Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We've been continuing through in, the, in chapter number 10 regarding uh, the big little things. There's a lot of little things in life that can make a big difference in your life. And so we want to take a look at some of these little things that will make a big difference and to notice how just a slight change in your life, a slight change in your mentality can make a profound impact upon your life. So let's take a look at five of these little things that are really big things and how a slight change and a slightly different perspective can be a great help to each of us. The first of which is your mouth. Verse number 11, surely the serpent will bite without enchantment and a babbler is no better. What he's saying, of course, is if you hang around a snake long enough, guess what? A snake is going to do what a snake is going to do. What do snakes do? They're going to bite you. And so you need to understand that, be aware of that, and uh, protect yourself in a way. And he says, just like that, a babbler is no better. He's saying a babbler will hurt you. Beware of the babbler. But there is an interesting twist here in the verses. Verse number 12 says, The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. So when you hear these words in verse number 11 regarding beware, watch out for the babbler, you know, we might think Solomon is saying, yeah, look out, who's the babbler over here? Who's the one that's talking too much and things like that? But the twist here is not look out for the babbler. The twist here is make sure you're not the babbler. He's saying be careful of that because the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. What he's saying is you need to be careful because you're the one that's going to get hurt. As if a snake would bite himself or a dog who chews his own leg, the, ba the babbler is the one who hurts himself. So when we come and we think about the words, don't just think about, oh, I need to be careful. What if there's a babbler around here? What we should think about is make sure that we're not the babbler. Make sure we're not the one that's like that because we are the ones that will get hurt. Now, why is that? What, what would be the reason for that? Well, he continues to elaborate. Verse number 13, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. Right? The beginning is foolishness. The end is incomprehensible. A fool also is full of words. A man cannot tell what shall be and what shall be after him. Who can tell him? Now, what, what does this mean? What is he talking about here? What he's talking about here is what does it mean to be a babbler? What does it mean to be this kind of person that Solomon is warning all of us about? What he's warning us about is, as he says in verse number 14, a man cannot tell what shall be. A fool is full of words, but you can't tell what shall be. You know what he's saying? A fool will say lots of things, but you don't know if he'll actually do any of those things. You ever meet one of those pe people who's like, yeah, I'll be there, and then he's not there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, can you really help me out this thing? Yeah, I'm going to do that thing. And then, hey, what happened? Oh, I forgot. Oh, something came up. Oh, this or that, you know? And I, I think that we've all been uh, in situations where we thought we could rely upon somebody. We thought that, oh, yeah, that person said they would be there. That person said they would finish the job. They said that they would be done by this day, and they weren't. 
You know, they have all sorts of excuses. I was busy. This last thing came up and, you know, all of these different sorts of things. And, and what, what, what Solomon is warning us about is don't be that kind of person because you know who gets hurt? You. Because if you're that kind of person, guess what? People won't trust you. People don't want to listen to you because they don't, they don't know if any of those words mean anything. Ah, it might happen, but it might not. And we would rather go to somebody that we can rely upon. And so it might seem like just a, such a little thing to follow through with what we said. When we said uh, uh, we would be done, it makes a big difference. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Again, ye have heard that it hath been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. You know what he's saying? Don't, don't say, oh, this time I really promise you I'm going to do that. All right? Don't say that. Because if you say that, everybody knows, well, if you don't say that, what does that mean? That you're not going to do it? What does that mean? And what Jesus is saying is, just whatever you say should be what you said and what you meant and what you will do. You know, sometimes it's easy for us to just try to get out of a conversation by just saying something. Oh, yeah, 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 I promise. Yeah, of course, I'll be there. But really having no intention of following through. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 15. The next verse there says, The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. You know, these people weary those around them because you never know, are we going to get there? <laughs> is it going to happen? And guess what? You know who the person is going to get hurt? Not the other person. It's going to be you. So it's a little thing, but we need to make sure that we have these things in place. We understand the right principle. Secondly, your meals. Verse 16. Woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child and thy princes eat in the morning. Kind of an unusual verse, right? It's a sad day when the princes eat in the morning. All right, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Is he saying breakfast is really not the most important meal of the day? You know, we all hear that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. What exactly is he talking about? He's obviously referring to the work culture of the day and really the, the pattern of going out to work. So, you know, as people will go out and work, and as you read the biblical times, you know, a lot of people were farmers, a lot of people in harvest season will go out early in the morning, try to get hired to get work and things like that. It would be common for laborers to go out early in the morning because early in the morning is when it's not so hot. It's when it's not so sunny, you know, you could, you could get out there and get some labor done before it gets too hot. Maybe around lunchtime you would get lunch and then you would take a siesta, you know? It's the heat of the day. And try to get out of the heat of the day. And if you really wanted to be profitable, you had to get your work done in the morning. Get started early before the heat of the sun. 
you know, uh, Brother Robbie mentioned, you know, COVID and things like that. You know, in 2020, you know, we're, uh, we were thinking about, you know, we, we'd like to get away for just a little bit. Uh, but where do we go? I mean, you can't fly anywhere. No, nothing's open, you know. And so we we're like, we did what a lot of other people did was we rented an Airbnb uh, and a place with a pool in Palm Springs in the middle of summer. So it was hot. And uh, so, but we knew it was going to be hot, but we thought, you know, we're just going to go swimming. And so we went over there. And uh, you know how it is, you know, you check in in the afternoon and you get all settled in and we're like, all right, pool time, you know, and I tested the water and the water felt like it was 100 degrees, you know, and we were like, oh, this is hot, but, you know, we're here to swim, we're going to swim. And so my kids are like, hey, daddy, it's hot, just get in, you know, I paid for this, you know, and uh, so anyway, we swam and, you know, in the morning time, though, it was perfect. You know, it, 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 after all night, the water would cool down, the sun was not yet really up, and it was, it was perfect in the morning. And so we would swim in the morning, and then, uh, you know, we would come in, we would get lunch, you know, the kids would take a nap, we would relax in the afternoon, because obviously it's like 100, 110, and uh, really hot over there. And uh, then, uh, you know, after the sun went down, we would go swimming again. And uh, every day, they're like, Daddy, it's hot, you know? And, uh, but, you know, that's the way it is. In the morning time is when it's a little cooler, a little easier to get out to work. That's when you can be productive. When you get out in the afternoon, it gets too hot. It's, it's a little bit too difficult. And what he's saying is, you know, when you eat your meal matters, meaning this, you know, of course, everybody's going to eat breakfast before you get out there. After you're done, you're going to eat a meal at the end of the day. But woe unto those that will not just eat in the morning. He's really referring to kind of feasting in the morning. You know, really being like, all right, I'm going to fill myself up and just take your time and enjoy yourself before you get out to work. It, it has to do with the order. Do you do the work first before you get your reward? Or do you want to be rewarded first and then get out to work? The illustration is in verse 16, woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child. When your king is a child. You know, if you gave these little kids a choice between eating your broccoli first and then ice cream, or ice cream first and then broccoli, or if you just said, hey, just eat whatever you want, guess what they're gonna go for? They're gonna go for the ice cream, you know? They're gonna go for the dessert, they're gonna go for the sweets, they're gonna go for the thing that they really want, and they want to have that first. But as we all know, as adults, you know, when you have little kids, you make sure that they eat their meal before the dessert. Right? And as adults, I mean, you can make your own decisions, but most of us eat our meals first and then our desserts, you know, because we know, all right, we got to eat the thing and then we can fill ourselves up with the dessert later. And the illustration, of course, is to use the prime time of the morning for your work and you'll get to enjoy your reward later. All right? Don't seek for the reward first. And then I'll do the work later, right? Blessing comes when we do the work first, and then we are rewarded afterward. Blessed art thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. Hey, the purpose of all of this is to get the work done. That's my goal here. That's what I'm trying to accomplish here. And as believers... 
our work time in the morning is short. And of course, we're not talking about just, you know, between 8 a.m. and noon. We're talking about the time in which we can be effective in ministry. The time for ministry is now, not later. The time for enjoying ourselves and, and just filling ourselves up with pleasure is not today. One day we'll enjoy all the pleasures of the Lord. One day we're going to get rewarded. One day we're going to get all of those things. But now is the time to work. Now is the time to serve. Now is the time to get out into the field. Hebrews chapter 11 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You know what he's saying here? Moses understood, I could have all the pleasures of this world right now, or I could think about the pleasures that God has in heaven for all of eternity. And he understood that was so much greater, so he was willing to follow God even through great suffering because the time that he had to serve and to work and to minister was short. Romans chapter 13 says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The day is at hand. It's time for us to get going. The time for us to minister is not one day, next year, next decade. When I get to that point in life, when I, I have myself established and I have my career settled and I got a home and I have all the things that I want, then I'll serve God. The time for us to serve God is today. When we get to heaven, we'll have all of eternity to enjoy ourselves, to be with the Lord, to relax, to just enjoy the company of others and to, to bask in the glory of the Lord and to have all of those pleasures that God has for us. And, and God does want to give blessings here on earth, but ultimately the time for us to minister is limited to our days here on earth. It's morning time. It's time for us to work. It's time for us to labor. And that's what Solomon is warning us about. Number three, we see our maintenance. Verse number 18. By much slothfulness the building decayeth, and through idleness of the hands the house droppeth through. Buildings require maintenance. Your cars require maintenance. Your body requires maintenance. We have to eat. We have to drink water. We have to go to sleep. Those are all maintenance things. We need some maintenance. You need to take your car in for an oil change on a regular basis. Now, if you know nothing about cars, you might think, what is the big deal? They take out oil and they put new oil in. You know, what's the big deal about that? But you need to regularly maintain your car. It's not going to take you that long to do an oil change, 30 minutes. You know, if you wait a long time, there's a big long line. It might take you an hour or something like that. But you have to change your oil because if you don't change your oil, then the oil becomes less effective. You know, the particles kind of, you know, and then it gets a little sludgy, it gets dirty. And then if you really don't change your oil for a long, long time, your engine might blow up. You know, you just need to take a few few minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, every once in a while to maintain your car if you want it to last for a long time. And I think all of us probably know somebody who, you know, somebody really took care of their car and their car goes 200,000 miles, 250,000 miles, 300,000 miles. If you, want, if you want a car to go a long, long time, you want it to last a long time, you need to maintain it well and regularly. The same is true for us. If we want to go for a long, long time, 
you need regular maintenance, spiritual maintenance. I know it might seem like a small thing to just read a few verses in the morning for one or two minutes, five minutes in the morning and, and pray, but that regular maintenance will take you a long way if you just take that time. You just take a little bit of time. Through much decay, the building decayeth. You know what? If you didn't take care of your house at all, that house will probably stand for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. I mean, it could stand for a really, really long time. Your car might be able to go 50,000 miles, 60,000 miles. You might, you might be able to go without doing, I don't know how cars, you know, how long you could go, but you could probably drive it past the 5,000 miles that they say, this is when you should change your oil. You could probably drive it for a long time but you would do much better if you would just take a few moments, change your oil every 5,000 miles. Might be twice a year, might even be three times a year. Maybe you don't drive that much, you know, you're working at home, you might do it once a year. You do just a little bit and that car will go for a long time. Regular maintenance. But the other thing too about maintenance is, maintenance is usually done in private. You don't see people changing their oils and you know fixing up the roofs on their houses and spiritual maintenance too is done in private it's done in the heart just taking some time at home reading your bible in prayer even here in the service you know i can't see your hearts you can't see my hearts you can't see the hearts of other people here but if you just take a few moments just to think about you know what i need regular spiritual maintenance just like your car needs maintenance, just like your house needs maintenance, you know, you gotta replace the roof, gotta replace some things, gotta, gotta fix up some things, make sure that it's still doing okay, might have to, you know, do, do some work on the carpets or the floors. Maintenance, your personal spiritual time is maintenance. Also here in the church services, I hope that you'll consider this in some way, some spiritual maintenance time. Some time when we bring ourselves before the Lord, the great physician, and he'll do an inspection on us. That he'll open up the word and get into our hearts and do some maintenance and say, hey, here's some fixing up that needs to be done. Hey, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but this is something that needs, to be, that needs to be dealt with in your heart. Regular spiritual maintenance will take you a far, far way. I appreciate what Brother Robbie said about the faithfulness of Pastor Choi. And one of the things that you might not be able to see, but one of the things that I'm able to see as I, you know, work here at the church is, you know, I walk past his office and, you know, he's usually got his door cracked open a, a, a little bit. And oftentimes he'll be in there just reading his Bible, you know, he'll be studying and reading and, and uh, just sitting there focusing on the word. And, and uh, you could understand how the faithfulness would continue because of that regular maintenance. And uh, that maintenance is not something that I can see. It's not something that other people can see in your personal lives all the time, but that maintenance will help you to be faithful, not just for the next year or five years, 10 years down the road. What a blessing it will be. Maybe uh, after Brother Robbie goes and he plans to church and, you know, might have him come back and be here for a missions conference or something and, you know, come back for a special meeting, maybe comes back for a revival service just to you know, pop in and uh, maybe we'll have him come and preach. And what a blessing it would be to have him come and be like, hey, I, Brother so-and-so, it's good to see you. Hey, sisters, how you been? You know, just to be able to see all of those years and able to be faithful, serving in the ministry and, and loving 
loving others and reaching others with the gospel, a big part of that will come down to your regular spiritual maintenance. Fourthly, what we see is your money. Verse number 19. A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. All right, so what is he saying here? He's saying, you want to have a good time? Put on a party, a celebration, a feast. You put on a feast, get a bunch of food together, invite all your friends and neighbors, and we'll have a good time. You want to have a good time? Then you, you host a big feast. You have a celebration. You bring people out and you have a great time. And that's what he's saying. You want to have a good time? Put on a feast. Put on a celebration. Have a party. The second half of the verse says, but money answereth all things. What does that mean? You know what he's saying? You have a problem in your life? You know what people go to right away? You don't want to solve that? Money. <laughs> now, not even directly sometimes, but you know, oh, my kid is struggling in school. You know what you need? You need tutoring. You know what, you know how you get tutoring? Money. <laughs> you know, oh, you, you know, oh, we're having some troubles and, you know, in our marriage and things like that. You should get some counseling and you go, you know, you get some therapy or something. You know what that costs? That costs money oh you really should get away on a vacation you know what that costs money you should really you know uh just uh, put your kids through this special program that'll really help them you know what it takes to do that money you know and uh, you you could see that in politics you know every politician you know they talk about cutting costs but whenever there's a problem what did they say we need more funding <laughs> what's the problem in education we need more funding what's the problem in healthcare? we need more funding what's the problem with retirement we need more funding what's the problem with this and that we need more funding we need another person we need this and we need that and, and then soon you're looking at this you built this and it costs you a billion dollars to do that you know and you know you're thinking about that like how could that be well that's the natural easiest answer for people to give if you don't know what to do get more money now it sounds like an easy answer and sometimes even people bring it into spiritual things oh our church needs this our church needs that you know what we should do we should just get more money pay for it and this and that and and sometimes you know at, at the very core practical level sometimes it is we're looking for a new building amen Amen. We're looking for a new building. And uh, you know what that's going to take? It's going to take money. And you would think, hey, what, what difference? It's the same thing. But there's a very big difference that sounds like a minor difference, but it's a big difference. Whether you trust in money or whether you trust in God to give you the money. It seems like such a subtle difference. Isn't the end result the same? We get the money and we use it to buy the building. Isn't that the same thing? There's a very big difference between trusting in money and trusting in God to give you the money. It, it, from somebody on the outside, they might look exactly the same. When we talk about, oh, we're praying for finances here in the church, they might just be thinking they're asking for money. But really what we're asking for is God we're asking you to do something for us. Our trust is not in money. Our trust is in you. Psalm chapter 49 says, They that trust in their wealth 
and boast themselves in the multitude of the riches. None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him, for the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he shall still live forever and not see corruption. At the very, very, very most fundamental, most important thing in our lives, salvation cannot be solved with money. I don't care how much money you have, you cannot buy your way into heaven. You cannot buy salvation. You cannot buy redemption. You cannot buy forgiveness from God. That is given purely out of the grace and mercy of God himself. There is no amount of money that you can make or earn or give that will give you a good standing with the Lord. It can only come through the blood sacrificed by Jesus Christ on the cross and your faith in him and him alone. That should give us an indication that, you know what, our trust should not be in riches, our trust should be in the Lord. And sometimes the temptation can just be, we need more money. If we have more money, we could do these things at the church. But you have to realize so many of the churches early in the, in the biblical days, they didn't have a lot of money. In fact, when you talk, you know, when, you, when we talk about these early churches and you see Paul referencing these churches, a lot of them were distinctly not wealthy. They were poor. We would say that they were poor. They didn't have church buildings. They didn't have people with lots of money. A lot of them didn't have very much. Paul, in writing to one of these churches, said, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at the last, your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm so thankful that you gave, but I just want to let you know that, you know what, uh, my trust is not in your giving to me. I, I don't want to put that pressure on you to just give for giving's sake because I wanted more money. He says, I I've learned that no matter where I am, I can be content with what I have. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. He says, I know how to minister when I have an abundance and I know how to minister when I don't have anything. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. You know what he's saying here? He's saying in the ministry, whatever it is that God has given to me, that is enough if I have Christ. He says, if I don't have any money at all, Christ is sufficient. If I have an abundance of money, Christ is sufficient. I can do all things through Christ. My trust is not in the offering that you send to me. My trust is in the Lord. And if you give, then that is how God provides for me. If the answer is no, and it's through some other way, then so be it. But the answer is not money. The answer is Christ. We need Christ. We need Christ to work. And we need Christ to draw men unto him. We need Christ to work in our hearts. And that is what we need. We need the God of heaven who created the universe to take some of that power and apply it into our church so that we can grow. We need the Lord. It sounds like a subtle difference to trust in money and to trust in God to provide the money. But it's a big difference. First Timothy says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and perceived themselves, uh, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things 
and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fifthly and lastly, what we see, a little thing. It might seem like not a big deal, not a big difference, but really is a big difference is your mind. Verse 20. Curse not the king, no, not in thy thought, and curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. For a, a bird of the air shall carry the voice, and that which hath wings shall tell the matter. You know, it's easy to complain about the rich and powerful, isn't it? Right? You know, uh, these people that run for president, you know, everybody loves those people. And the moment they get elected, their approval rating goes down. <laughs> it's like inevitable, you know, They're, everybody loves this guy when he becomes president. And then the next year, his approval rating is always down. You know why? Because before he wasn't as powerful, but now that he's the president, all right, get things done, you know, and we can always nitpick. Hey, this is, you're not doing this right. You're not doing that. You said that this and you promised that. And it's very easy to find, complaint, and fault with the powerful and the rich. I mean, nobody feels bad for Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates, right? Because you have a hundred billion dollars, all right? You shouldn't have any right to complain about anything, right? And so we don't really feel bad for these people. But Solomon says, curse them not. You know, don't be so critical. Don't talk down about them. And be careful about that. It says, don't even do it in your bedroom, right? Curse not the rich in thy bedchamber. I mean, you know, I, obviously I'm married and so you know my wife and I will just talk about things and you know we'll talk about things that we saw in the news or things that we saw oh hey did you hear you know she saw somebody on social media or you know uh you know hey that, that person had a baby or whatever things like that you know and and uh you know there's great trust between my wife and I would we'll just open up our hearts and say different things and, you know, just kind of put our burdens out there and, and things like that. And Solomon says, don't even do that because you know what? Somebody will find out. You ever uh, have somebody come up to you and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I heard about this whole thing. And uh, you're like, oh, really? You know, and you're thinking, how did, how did you hear about this thing? And uh, you might even be so bold as to ask, hey, uh, how did you hear about that? You have anybody say, a little birdie told me. <laughs> you ever have that? A little birdie told me. You know what he's saying in verse number 20? A little birdie told me. For a bird of the air shall carry the voice. Hey, I heard that you were talking bad about the king and about that person. Ah, uh, uh, how'd you hear that? A little birdie told me. This is the biblical way of saying it. A bird of the air shall carry the voice, you know. And that which has wings shall tell the matter. It sounds like what Solomon is saying is, shh, don't talk about it, because then somebody will find out, right? That's what it sounds like he's saying. But that's not what he's saying. You know what he's saying? Verse number 20, curse not the king, no, not in thy, what's the next word? Thought. He's not saying don't say it, you know what he's saying? Don't even think it. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference between I got to control my tongue 
You ever have uh, that moment where you said something and the moment you said it, you regretted it? And you're like, oh, why did I say that? You know, I should, I, this was supposed to be a secret and now I'm saying it, you know? Sometimes that, that happens. Solomon is saying, don't just control your tongue. You have to control your thoughts. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. You know why you said it? You said it. You said it because you thought it. You thought it first, and that's why you said it. If you never thought it, you wouldn't have said it because you're not thinking it. You know what Solomon is saying? Don't even think it. But you know what? That's really hard, right? It's really hard when somebody's really mean to you to not think mean back to him. You might not say it, right? You might say, oh, okay, thank you. I appreciate uh, your constructive criticism, <laughs> you know? But in your mind, you're like, stop, <laughs> you know? I'm doing my best over here. You know, we have to be very careful. That kind of control is not possible in the flesh. You know what God is saying? God is saying, you know what? The words of your mouth, the tongue, is an unruly evil. No man can bridle it. It's uncontrollable. You know where it gets controlled? Not with your tongue, with your heart. 2 Corinthians, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, the calling of God is not just to come to church and say the right thing. Our calling in God is before the Lord to think the right things. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what God wants for us to do? Not just to say the right thing, but to have the right heart that would say the right thing. It sounds like a subtle difference. Because sometimes you can't tell the difference. You know, I have a testimony where I got saved when I was 20 years old, but I made a profession when I was in second grade. And so all growing up, you know, as a kid and going into high school and, you know, youth group years, everybody thought I was saved. I put on a suit. I brought my Bible. I went to the activities. I came to the service. I even served in different ministries. I did all of these things. And I looked right on the outside, but my heart was not right on the inside. See, God is not looking for people who will come to church in a suit and a tie and bring a King James Bible. You know what he's looking for? He's looking for people who have a regenerated heart by the salvation of Jesus Christ. And he's looking for people with the heart that would say, I want to come and honor the Lord. I want to come and hear from the word of God. I want to come and serve the people of God. I want to come and be a part of this membership, of this body, and shine the light of the gospel. And those things will lead to all of the other things. These might seem like little things, but ultimately what God is looking for is not just an exterior behavior change, but an inner transformation that results in all of these things. It might seem like a little thing, but that's the big thing that God wants us to think about.